that like your sort of like what what may seem obscure in your like immediate circle or your you know friend group um there's just always going to be a community for it online and i think that finding those people is really is really dope um and 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 the internet is like a great tool for that now those are the words of today's guest jabari johnson the founder and ceo of colors worldwide Colors isn't your regular live entertainment company. It's an ecosystem that incorporates multiple underserved genres through live events, festivals, and content creation. In today's episode, I talked to Jabari about growing their flagship event, R&B Only. But his journey didn't start there. The Howard University alum and master interviewer started in the industry on a high note, moving and shaking with artists like Wale, Justin Bieber, and Nicki Minaj. Stay tuned for more. In case you don't know, this is A Few Minutes, and I'm your host, Elise Ellis, a podcast full of very short, very Black, and very creative conversations with Black entrepreneurs about their careers, outlook on art, style, music, media, and more. From Black DJs to designers, I hope the next, uh, 30 minutes inspires your creative journey and leaves you ready to flex your creative muscle. Now here's Jabari and I. What was it like going to Howard, like in the 2000s? I'm from DC, but I didn't go to college until I got to college in 2016. So set the scene for what going out in the DMV was like, at least from your perspective. Oh yeah, in that time, um, well, it was. I mean, it was. It was. So it was. You know, Clips was huge at that time, and they were from Virginia, right? So like they were they were always doing shows in DC. And um, I remember that was like my first time ever interviewing an artist on camera. It was it was uh, Pusha T and Malice. And, you know, just like waiting outside the club for these guys, um, you know, but like that, that was like what was popping. Um, you know, you had Wale was, was really making some waves in, in, you know, between like 2000, uh, I got to Howard at two, in 2005, and so 2006, seven, eight, like that was really like his time of coming up in the city. Um, that was Nicki Minaj's time, you know what I mean? Like these people, it was like, it was just, it was, it was a a, a time where like, it was almost like the end of the lyric-driven hip-hop era, but people were still making, like, hits and stuff to dance to, but, like, lyrics were still important, you know what I mean? J. Cole was coming up. I remember J. Cole coming to the city and, you know, just, like, people... It was, like, the real hip-hop heads rocked with him, but he he wasn't, like, doing that many shows or anything like that, you know? He would just come to, like, this, this store of Commonwealth that we would all be at. Um, yeah, I'm familiar with Commonwealth. Yeah. 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 You know, shout out to my guys over there. Um, and yeah, so like that, I mean, it was, it was, it was a really dope time and it was like a time when DC specifically, um, was, was really, you know, making a, a, a name for itself as a place that hip hop had to travel to and come to, you know what I mean? Like, and I think Wale was really the first, I mean, he, he was the first hip hop artist to take it to the level that he took it to from there. Like, you know, after that you had Shy Glizzy and Fat Trail and a lot of other people, but, but ultimately it was just like, 
you know, and, and, and a big part of that has always been Howard, you know, Howard has always been like the place that people want to come to for homecoming and that type of stuff. I mean, that's why I even wanted to get in the entertainment industry in general, because my mother went to Howard and I, I would, she would bring me back for like homecomings and stuff. And I would, I would, I thought that that's what the campus looked like all the time, you know? So of course, as a kid, I would be like, Oh, I got to go here because you know, all these artists are always here. Little did I know that that was, that was just a homecoming thing. But, um, but yeah, it was just like, it was a great time. It was a lot of energy in the city. And this is also like pre-gentrification, you know what I mean? Like, so, uh, or the gentrification was like just starting. Um, but you know, so it was like, it was still, you know, chocolate city. It was, it was, it was, a, it was an amazing time. And, uh, and I, yeah, I, I, I couldn't have wished for a better time to be in the city and like really start my career. I know a lot of people who went to Howard and then came to LA to like intern and in the entertainment industry. And I always thought it was so interesting seeing how so many people were inspired and engaged by just like the amount of artists that would like come to campus and that you could really interact with by just being at Howard and in DC, especially because in dc oh, is super big. yeah yeah definitely i mean literally i met wale by interviewing him and he found out i went to howard and he would just call me and be like hey man can i come up to the campus and like can you help me pass out cds and like show me where you know all the girls are that you know like so where they would hang out so because i want to give them my music free you know what i mean like that like that literally was what was happening and i would just you know take him around go to the yard go to what we would call the booty wall which is like this this like wall outside of the um quad dorm um and i would just literally pass out cities all, all the time i think what's really interesting is that a lot of labels try to they now have like programs like college rep programs where they try to facilitate those relationships. But it seems like there are just some campuses like Howard, but also like Spelman and Morehouse where things happen so organically. Why do you think HBCUs are able to kind of have that organic connection between like up and coming artists or bigger artists and the culture on the campuses? Here's the thing. I feel like with HBCUs, we're impressing ourselves, right? Like, so we're, we're, we're always trying to do things as black people on like the highest level. So, you know, when you, for instance, at Howard, it's like when you went to a fashion show at Howard, it felt like you were damn near in a real fashion show. You know what I mean? Like in like the fashion industry type of, you know what I mean? So it's like, everybody's trying to do everything. These young kids, and especially now they're doing it on such a high level, whatever they're, craft is you know they're they have so many tools at their disposal that you're you know you're you're looking at what's really going on in whatever industry you're trying to get in and you're trying to like you're trying to be like that but you're also trying to impress your peers you know what i mean you're trying to impress the other folks that are around because like howard every day was a fashion show like literally just like stepping out on campus you know what i mean so um so it's like that that is a, that's a huge, like when, when you're trying to get the respect of your peers, that's just a different, you know what I mean? That's just a different motivation and hustle that you're going to have versus like trying to, you know, do something for a boss at 
in your like college intern program. You know what I mean? It's a little bit different. No, that's definitely the perfect way to put it. I was a college rep and going to a PWI being like a quote unquote urban college rep, it seemed like, you know, we're only 5% of USC's pop- population. Most people kind of already know what they want to do. I, like you said, I really was working to like, how can I break into the industry instead of like, how can I do a cool event on campus? Because what I thought was cool wasn't what the campus thought. It wasn't, yeah. Oh, oh, totally understandable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, for me, I wanted to do stuff that my friends saw. You know what I mean? Like, I, I wanted to, and that's the same thing I feel like with the younger generation now. It's like, it's like, yo, I want you guys to come to my event. You know what I mean? I want, like, my friends to have a good time. I want, you know, it was like, when I was in school, I was like, oh, I think Nicki Minaj is like the dopest artist. So I'm going to get this interview with her, edit it, chop it up, and then I'm going to like send it to every one of my friends on campus on Facebook. You know what I mean? Like, And I literally printed out all my Facebook friends at the time and I typed everybody. You could only send like 25 messages, 25 people a message at once. And I just I just sent the link to everybody. And then it it went viral on campus first. You know what I mean? And then like, you could look at some of those interviews today and it's like some of those things have like six million views you know not only did jabari interview a freshly signed Nicki minaj but he also chopped it up with justin bieber and macklemore at the genesis of their careers his interviews were more than good music-based content they served as a lesson in building relationships and finding community for what he thought was cool talk to me a little bit more about like interviewing an artist like Nicki minaj or justin bieber before they really broke into the mainstream, did you know the weight, the value of those interviews at the time? Oh, absolutely not. Not at all. <laughs> I mean, if I knew the value, I would have had like proper audio equipment or, you know, uh, better cameras or, you know, but I mean, I, it, it's like anything, you know, you're just doing it because you love it. You're just doing it because um, you're not doing it with like an end goal in mind necessarily. You're just doing it because this is what is making you happy in the moment. And I think that, you know, so many great careers and entrepreneurs and, you know, just like amazing talent start like that. It's because you just, you have a burning desire and a need inside you to do the thing that you want to do and get your work and your art to as many people as possible, you know? And that's really, that's really what I was, you know, doing. I just, I just thought that so many people were dope and I was like, you know, let me let me let me help them showcase their art with the world type of thing um and you know yeah even even with justin it was like he had just had his first single out um when we spoke and was it one time it was really yeah it was one time and he and i think baby was was i think it was a press run for baby uh that was like the second the second record and um and I had really loved one time, like I was like, that was like a guilty pleasure, you know. I like pop music, so I just like all types of music. So I was, but 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 it was really a favor to my friend Scooter Braun, who was managing Asher Rock because I was in the hip hop world at that time. You know, I was a big fan of Asher Rock, and he said, you know, I got another kid who's like a pop kid, and I want you to talk to him because you're. I want you to kind of be like the first person from like the hip hop world to like get an interview with him. And, you know, he was like, he loves Tupac. Like, you should you should ask him about, like, some Tupac stuff and, like, ask him to rap Tupac or whatever. And, like, 
we literally like did this in like a hotel lobby and you know it was just like now it's like yeah that that footage is like it's just incredible to see the beginnings of you know what what went on to be like one of the biggest stars in the world it was cool what did those like early interviews teach you not only about building relationships but also doing things that you are genuinely interested in you talked about not having an end goal but just being like involved in and wanting to create content around music that you love. it showed me that there's other people that really like what you like as well you know what i mean and, and the internet is the way to get to those people you know i remember i was a big fan of macklemore um and I had done a, a few interviews with him and I'd just been listening to his stuff, you know, just like really early on stuff from him. And I think I messaged him on MySpace and that's how we first connected. And, um, and that later led to like a relationship and him needing help finding management and just like coming to New York doing like really small shows, like 500 people. And I would just be there and, you know, we'd go get like some pizza and, he'd tell me about, you know, what he's trying to do in his career and stuff like that. And I, and I was just like, I want to, I want to just help. I want to, I want to help tell the story. I want to help like showcase this. And, and, you know, that eventually led to me doing a documentary on, on him and Ryan Lewis and around like the thrift shop video and the making of that. But like, it was, it was still at a time where it wasn't like super duper mainstream. And it was something that like, I was watching become bigger and bigger and bigger. And it was like, when I put that documentary out, it was like, it just took off and it really like, it really helped catapult and, and, and tell the behind the scenes story of like the success of, of that thrift shop song. And I believe that was 2012. And it was like stuff like that. It was like, I really liked it. A lot of my friends didn't like it that much, but, but the, the, the internet liked it. You know what I'm saying? Like there was like, I was like a bunch of other people around that wanted to hear that story and that wanted to like check it out like globally. And that's, you know, that's, that's what, that's what like following what you want to do. You, you're just always going to connect with other people that like your sort of like what, what may seem obscure in your like immediate circle or your, you know, friend group. Um, there's just always going to be a community for it online. And I think that finding those people is really, is really dope. Um, and, and, and the internet is like a great tool for that. Now, how did you use the internet if at all to grow colors? That's pretty much the only thing that we use to, to, to grow, you know, the brand. I mean, so, uh, colors, colors worldwide is, you know, a, a, a live event production entertainment company. Um, we do so many things that we just like to call ourselves like an entertainment company because we do everything from producing live shows and concerts and music festivals to producing like content and that type of stuff. And our flagship brand, R&B Only, I mean, that's, that's, that is, that was like really, you know, I wouldn't say birthed out of the internet, but, but um, it's the colors, the brand, we, we didn't, when I started the brand, I didn't know what it was going to become. I just was like having small hip hop parties called colors. 
um, and like doing this stuff in like New York, DC and LA. And at the end of one of these parties, um, I asked the crowd, would you guys come? We used to play R and B sets at the end. And so I asked the crowd, would you guys come to an R and B only show if we did that? And the crowd went crazy. And so then we just, I was like, Oh, let's do, let's just call it R and B only. And, and so, and I was like, and then R and B only was as big as the colors parties. And then, after I did like the next one, it was bigger. And then the next one was bigger. And then I was just like, all right, you know, I don't, I'm, I wasn't ever really like a party promoter. I just knew a lot of people and I was just like having a good time with my friends and inviting a bunch of other people. And so after that, uh, when R&B only started to take off, I decided to turn colors into a company, not just a party and, you know, call it colors worldwide and have R&B only be like a product underneath that brand so that people associate, you know, a good time with R&B only. But if they go a little deeper and see the people who are behind that, they'll know that colors is, you know, behind that and colors has stamped that. And, you know, that, that will give us the opportunity in the future to do a bunch of other things and just know that, you know, Oh, when colors launches something else, it's like, oh, they have a track record because they built this other brand called R&B Only, you know. So that's how that's how I thought about it. But the internet, to get back to your question, um, it was it was really all just like word of mouth and using internet and like using just making it simple and easy for people to like RSVP or share the link with their friends on the internet and you know just like posting stuff on social in ways that wasn't like spamming, you know, or ways that, that were, you know, we wanted to like really have high quality pictures from a lot of those early shows so that people will want to post pictures, you know, on their own social networks, you know, that, that, I mean, people would make them like their profile pictures or people would, you know, do these things. Cause it was, we had amazing photographers, you know, shout out my friend, Jen, Jennifer Johnson, who, you know, then went on, she shot like all of my early events and parties and shows. And then, you know, she went on to, I mean, she's just one of the top photographers in, in the music industry right now. She, a lot of the photos that you see of Nipsey Hussle, um, you know, those iconic photos with like, where you see prolific on the side and of, 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 on, the, on the side of his face, his tattoo, all that stuff is her. And, you know, she was like, I was like one of the first people to give her a gig in Los Angeles. So it was, I mean, it's like you utilize the relationships that you have in person and in real life and the internet just like amplifies those, you know what I mean? And like gives them, um, gives, gives people the opportunity to share and, and, and yeah. And then, and then, and then really like once you start learning the advertising game on the internet and that's really what I think propelled us from, just being in a few markets to being in, you know, over 40 markets in North America and being able to do stuff in different countries. I think like that was because of what we learned on an advertising standpoint. And, you know, now, you know, we, we, we have a pretty, pretty solid team who, who does really great work with like, you know, having content that spreads organically but then understanding that a paid campaign can like amplify that and get even more people to understand what's going on. Yeah. Looking back, did you know that the content specifically like photos, videos was really going to propel colors as um, 
an event production brand because right now I think I see so many parties and event series that come out and it seems like from the gate they know we have to have a photographer, videographer, we have to recap this event online because that's how it's going to spread. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, I mean, and, and, and the other thing is like, we're, we're constantly learning and constantly evolving. Right. So like, I'll give you an example, like with, with R&B only, you know, now that brand is so large and it has so many different tentacles, right. We have like R&B only live, which is the shows that are with our hosts and DJs in between, you know, one and 5,000 capacity rooms. But then we have R&B only fest, which is our like music festival product where we add, you know, big R and B artists to the mix. And typically those shows are outdoors and, you know, and, and, and it's just, and we have other things coming that, you know, people will very, very soon see. But, but in terms of the marketing in the, in the early days when, when R and B only just started, we were, you know, it was, it was all about the photos. Like it was, you know, photos, 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 I mean, we, we would post the photos in you know Facebook galleries afterwards and on Instagram and people would, you know, they would see, oh, this is the type of, you know, experience that I can have. But there's only so much that a photo can capture. And so then when stuff turned to video and the medium started to shift, right? Like, so Instagram started to shift to a more video centric platform, you know, you had... Um, and then obviously over the past two years, you see what TikTok has done, um, you know, just vertical video for us is, you know, it's just, a, it, it's even more important than photos right now, you know? And like, what's so surprising, I think, as we're finding out in our, in our, in our marketing mix is how small, very short clips of people's experience at our show is essentially what takes off and what, you know, what people share and what people, and, and, and ultimately like what sells tickets to the shows. You know what I mean? It's not, it's, 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 it's showing that fan experience, um, in a, in a, in a, in a bite-sized clip that that's what people really gravitate toward. You know what I mean? Versus, you know, you, you, versus like, you have a show and then you have to do a whole recap video and this is what happened. And you know what I mean? It's kind of just like dumbing it down for, um, a passive viewer to say, Oh wow. What is this? You know what I mean? Like this is a bunch of people singing a summer Walker song at the top of their lungs. Like I'm interested in that. I want to see more. And then they can. Yeah. You want people to be interested in the yeah. moment. Like you see IG story colors or someone else and say oh this is it when is the next one in dc or in mm -hmm. la or something like that yep, yep, yep. so so that's what that's what we've learned and and yeah it's definitely uh you know and, and again it's constantly evolving you know what i mean like we just we don't want to continue doing the same thing that we like what we do what we do for marketing is very different you know from three years ago from what we do now and and it will always change and it will always evolve so there are so many parties in D.C., New York, L.A., really all of the cities that Colors Worldwide hits. What do you think people are looking for when they come to a Colors event? And what do you think, what do you hope that they leave with at the end of the night? Uh, yeah, there's a lot. Of, I mean, I think one of the biggest things on how we, like, separate ourselves is, you know, like I said, our, our flagship brand is R&B only. And we never once, like, 
call that a party, right? So we always, um, we always let people know that this is a show. This is an experience. It is, you know, akin to what you see EDM DJs doing at their shows, but just, you know, with R&B music. So we have a lot of production. We have a storytelling on stage with our hosts and DJs. We have, you know, there's a bit of a comedic element to certain shows. It's like, it's like we're going to take you through a journey um, through R&B music that's constantly evolving and changing. We're not just playing the same music. We have we have four hosts and four DJs that travel around the country. Um, and so, you know, the experience is just something that can't be really replicated, right? Anybody can throw a party and play R&B music, but, you know, not a lot of people can... Uh, produce a show that shows people the journey of R&B music and, you know, in an entertaining way, the way that we do it. And that's, and that's really simply why we've been able to just like be the largest live R&B brand in the country. Like, and, and nobody, we, we've kind of built um, a moat around the brand because of how unique our experience it is. And we just try to continue to make it extremely unique and, and while still, you know, growing it. I really like how you described R&B only as more than a party, but an event and experience. When I think of colors and R&B only versus just a regular party, I'm thinking of like magazine feature laid out perfectly. And I'm really understanding holistically, like what R&B is. Like you said, you would get at an EDM show as opposed to like, a new story where you just get one part yes, yes. of R&B or like give it. So I really like how you laid that out. I think I remember I went to my first show in college and I was like, this is not just, you know, your 10 minutes at a party DJ playing some Aaliyah mixing it with, I don't know, like Summer Walker or SZA. This is really for like R&B lovers. I really appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, and at, at the end of the day, that's our North star, right? It's like, it's like, how do we continuously make, the experience better for R&B lovers. You know, how do we, how do we take this concept that started with, you know, just a few hundred people. And now we're, you know, when, when we're thinking about how, how do our festivals look, you know, we just had a big festival in Atlanta with Erica Badu, who who's the headliner. And we had, um, you know, a bunch of other artists on the field. It was, uh, Miguel, Ty Dallason, Lucky Day. Um, you know, uh, division. Um, it was a ton of people, but like, it's like, how do we, how do we showcase R and B holistically? Like, right. So like, we're not every show, like, especially when we're talking about our festivals, it's like, you know, there's a lot of new R and B on the bill, but you have somebody like Erica Badu as the, you know, headliner who, you know, a lot of these, yeah, you know what I mean? Like a lot of these people just like look up to her, you know what I mean? A lot of, I mean, she's, She's a queen of, of, of the genre. Um, and, you know, even just from like a surprise guest standpoint, we brought out, you know, Sunshine Anderson at that show, you know, and, and you know, somebody who you may not see on a ton of shows, but we wanted to give her that look and that, that opportunity to perform in front of 10,000 people and like really like showcase, you know, other, other voices in R&B. Even, even, you know, I'm I bringing it back to Wale, but... We, uh, you know, just, just from my history with him and, and, and knowing his career, I want to do 
doing something extremely unique and special at an R&B festival where I wanted to bring a rapper and have him only perform his R&B collaborations. And that's exactly what we did with him, you know? And so like that was, I, I think that we try to tell stories, you know, in general, whether it be like with, you know, a lineup or whether it be at a, a show with just our hosts and DJs, you know, we're just like, we're, I mean, we're working on uh, multiple festivals right now um, for R&B only. And each one of them is going to be unique. It's, ne it's never going to be something that you could just like, pinpoint and say oh that's that's expected you know what i mean from them or like we, we, we're always going to have some surprises and we're always going to have some unique things going on and i think that like that's the beauty of you know what we're trying to to, to do with this genre who are some r&b artists that really excite you right now oh so many um i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna name the ones that i feel like people just are not checking out, you know what I mean? And I, and, I, and I feel like need a lot. So I'm not gonna name any ones that are just like, I'm gonna name ones that are really on the come up, you know? So um, I really love a girl out of Boston named CD Rose. She's incredible. Um, I love, uh, there's an artist named Saintville, um, S-A-I-N-V-I-L, um, who's super dope. I'm actually going to the studio with him later tonight to hear some records. Um, and who else? Um, oh, there's an artist I really like called, uh, her name is Ash Leone, A-S-H-L-E-O-N-E. -E. Um, and these are all artists that, you know, we put on our platform and we, and we have, um, you know, just, just a lot of them have been on our shows. We have a show that we produce in our, in our office here called Singing in the Shower, where we have like a shower studio built and, these artists come in and perform records and they perform like cover songs of artists that they love. Um, and we push that out to our audience. And, um, yeah, so, you know, you can, you can see a lot of these artists on, uh, who, who else, who else? Um, there, there's, man, there's somebody, oh, Tone Stiff, who's a little more popular. Uh, but I really love him. Uh, he's incredible. He performed at our festival as well. Um, yeah, um, there's 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 so many dope new artists, um, and yeah, it's 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 we're in a, I would say this R&B is in a good space, but it's a little we the fans of R&B have to be more accepting of the new generation. Like it's yeah, it's really unfortunate to me that in this genre there's only you know a few artists that really break new artists every year when you look at hip-hop there's so many new artists all the time popping up that actually get supported and people like and you know what i mean and it's like but r&b a lot of r&b fans don't give the newer artists a chance and it, it, it it's a much longer road a lot of times for the new generation of R&B. Um, and, and that's unfortunate. And, and, and I think that, that 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 comes with, you know, a lot of people are so stuck in a golden era, 90s R&B. I mean, when you say 90s R&B, people almost equate that as synonymous with R&B. Like there's, like we're not going back to the 90s. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, they, and, and it's like there's so much more talent and quality out there 
But another problem that I think though is, is to be honest, is that there's not a lot of there's, there's not a lot of platforms, um, and there's not a lot of opportunities. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, so you have us. Um, you know, shout out to you have Escape Tracks, you have um, R&B Radar. You know, so these are some platforms that are really shining a light on. Uh, you have uh, This Is R&B. You have, yeah. I mean, there, 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 there's some that are that are really trying to you know push the culture and 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 shine a light on on dope new R&B. So I know you said that no R&B only party or experience is alike, but what are three songs you think are essential to an R&B only party? Um, uh, how about I name artists instead? Because songs, yeah. So you definitely Usher. Uh, uh, there, there hasn't been an, an R&B artist that really has uh, bridged the gap with so many different generations. Um, you know, Usher is still currently putting out music that is connecting and you know so usher for sure um i would say uh definitely it's kind of the same story with chris brown um so you know chris uh he has a massive catalog um old and new so you're always gonna hear some of his music and then um i would say as well um mary mary j um She's just a queen legend, and so she's another artist that you're, you're pretty much always gonna hear uh, a Mary song, at least one, when you come to an R&B only show. So, yeah, those would be the three I would say. Okay, I'm taking some time to add in my own two senses here. I don't think an R&B event can survive without the catalogs of Mary J and Usher, but I'd swap Jabari's pick the infamous Chris Brown for the princess of R&B, Aaliyah, for obvious reasons. I'm definitely trying to hear If Your Girl Only Knew, Rock the Boat, We Need a Resolution at R&B functions. Now back to the interview and my next question, where I asked Jabari what lessons he's learned running a live entertainment company during a global pandemic. What did the beginning of the pandemic when the world was shut down show you about the values of colors worldwide community and live events Ooh, great question um yeah so you know the pandemic was was extremely difficult uh the pandemic the, the pandemic really showed us that you know it's important to have reserves right cash reserves that's one um and it also it also just showed us that community was really important. You know what I mean? Having a direct access and direct, direct um, relationship with your fans and your audience, because, you know, while the world was shut down and while we, we, we couldn't do shows in normal venues and concert venues that we, that, we, that we play in, we were able to, you know, do some really unique things. Um, and it was because, you know, we had, the direct access to our audience, right? And I don't just mean on social media. I mean, you know, text messages, emails, phone numbers, that kind of thing. Um, you know, we 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 did a we did three drive-in shows during the pandemic. One in Atlanta, one in San Francisco, and one in Orange County, California. And each of those had, I want to say, over four hundred cars in them. Um, and you know. We, we 
we really fostered the community and, you know, people were really frustrated about being at home and not seeing music and, you know, not, not being able to, to, to go to venues. And, you know, we just, I mean, we, we did one in a parking lot. We did one in a, in a Canyon in Orange County, like in a, in a, in a, in a, like a valley. It was the craziest thing. And then we did one on a golf course in, uh, in, in San Francisco. So, I mean, we got really, really creative um, and still were able to bring our community together. One of the biggest nights, um, you know, for us in business is New Year's Eve, as pretty much anybody in a live space will tell you. And, uh, and you know, we, 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 had, we had back-to-back COVID New Year's Eves. Um, you know, the, the, the last one we just had going into 2022, we were able to do multiple shows, but, um, but it was like an Omicron outbreak, you know, so it, it wasn't as successful as we wanted them to be. And then the, the year before that, it was just, everything was shut down. And so on during, during New Year's Eve, 2020 is when we were able to, uh, we, we did like a really big live stream. And so we were able to bring everybody together um, that wanted to be together on a, on a, on a live streaming platform. And yeah, and it was, it was, it was really dope. It was, uh, you know, we, we sold tickets for the live stream. And I think a lot of it was like our fan base who, you know, wanted to be a part of something and wanted to do something on New Year's Eve when they know they couldn't, but it was also just wanted to support us because they knew what our business was going through at the time. And, you know, that was really, really telling um, about the kind of fans and, and supporters that we have. So really learned a lot about community during that time, for sure. And, and you know, we're constantly trying to build, build that community. So for people who want to produce events, I have some, like, rapid fire questions for you. But feel free to, like, provide more nuance um, and explanations. So you don't have to go that fast. But... When starting out, should you charge for parties and shows and what determines if you should charge? When starting out, no, you should not charge. I think when starting out, it is about um, getting, building and developing an audience. And, but you should still have some sort of sense of urgency, right? So if you're going to do a free RSVP show, have the window of opportunity where it is a free RSVP show limited. Uh, you know what I mean? Or maybe have uh, incentive for people to come a bit earlier. So maybe make the free RSVP before 9.30, 10 p.m. You know what I mean? So that people can get there earlier. You get more people in the building. Um, hopefully that, that you know, helps the, the venue out because it helps, you know, people spending money on concessions and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I would say early days, um, it's, it, 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 you gotta also think that in the live event space, it, people have to do a lot to, it's not like purchasing something on Amazon that gets delivered to your house. It's like, oftentimes people are getting an outfit. They are, you know, not doing something else in their day. They're having to schedule, you know, time with their friends, they have to get gas, they have to do, so you got to just think about all the other things that people have to do to commit to an event that is new and that they've never heard of. Um, you know, it's a lot. So, you know, RSVPing and, and, and retaining that person's information to then further 
send them more information about your future events, um, you have to also look at that as, as some type of currency. Um, and not just, not just, you know, the, the, the monetary value of a, of a ticket. Their, their, their presence is actually the currency. What roles or people are essential to have on your team if throwing live events? Um, great question. Uh, I think what roles are essential. And I mean, early days, if you're, if you're starting out, you are likely going to be the, the, the person being all of these roles. But I would say um, you gotta you gotta have someone who knows about marketing because you can have the greatest event, but if nobody knows about it, then you know it, it, it's you're having an event in a vacuum. Um, so somebody who knows how to market the show, and then um, somebody like like an event manager, or uh, you know we we call them like maybe like a production manager or uh, or a tour manager or uh, somebody like that. You know, you just need somebody who, um, who can essentially uh, follow the run of show and make sure that everybody else is following what's supposed to happen throughout the event. Um, those I would say are the two most crucial uh, people that you need. And then lastly, it's not necessarily a person, but, um, venue is always, uh, you know, venue is probably one of the most important things, um, when considering, you know, trying to get in a live event space, people, people may remember, uh, you know, they, they will remember the show and they will remember whether, whether it's a DJ, whether it's a artist, whether it's spoken word, whether, you know, all those things, right. They, they, they will remember that. But if they have a bad experience at the venue, let's say somewhere that's unsafe, um, let's say, you know, uh, let's say the, 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 the drinks are overpriced, let's say, like, it always, it, that will really stick in their mind and stick in their brain about, you know, what your event was. And, and, something, and you have, you know, no control over something that the venue necessarily does. Um, but that's why it's really important to pick a good venue. Um, it's really, it's really important. You don't, I would say early days, you don't want to, um, you don't want to choose some place that might be really cheap, but has a lot of other problems over a place that maybe is a little bit more expensive, but will give your, audience and fans a better experience that's great because that was my last question is what you know is a blind spot people may have when choosing a venue because i know if i go to a bad venue i will not go to that event again even if it's at another venue exactly exactly even if it's at another venue it's just it it it, it uh yeah it stains it stains the, the the event it stains the show you know um and some people, you know, yeah, it's, it's hard to bounce back from that sometimes. Um, we, we, we've definitely had our share of experiences like that. So. so my last question is, how does colors measure success? And what is something you've done recently that hits that definition of success? Great question. Uh, we measure success. I mean, we have, you know, normal KPIs, uh, which which are, and for those, that's key performance indicators, you know, so um I mean, really, sales. Um, how many signups do we get on lead gen forms? Um, you know, uh, uh, yeah, just just 
the, the, the standard, the standard, you know, things for a company who's, you know, pretty much our, our, our business is selling tickets. Um, but I, you know, and we look at like growth year on year monetarily and that, that type of stuff. Um, you know, what, what we're doing in various markets, um, you know, that are our top cities and stuff like that. But I think other measures of success are, you know, that, 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 that aren't, that aren't necessarily measured in like numbers, um, are, you know, what have we done that we haven't done before? Um, that, that's really important. Uh, you know, yeah, just, just, you know, putting on the festival that we just did are and only fest in Atlanta. Um, we had a lot of hiccups and a lot of, a lot of things that, 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 that didn't go right, but ultimately it was a success because we had never, you know, done a show with that many artists, that many household names, um, you know, in an amphitheater with that many people, um, with, with, you know, our partners in Live Nation, um, we had never even partnered on with another company on a show before, you know what I mean? So it's like, there's certain things that, um, you know, you look back and say, as you know, what, what, what goals are we reaching and what are we doing, you know, every quarter that we just haven't done before as an organization. And if we have done it before, how can we add something to the mix that we haven't done before or that we're going to learn? Um, and, you know, I think that I try to try to implement that um, into the minds of, of my staff as well, you know, uh, and and yeah, that's that's I think that's a, that's a, a really big one for us. And that is me, your host and producer, Elise Ellis, in conversation with Jabari Johnson. Our sound designer is Twee McCallum and shout out to Aaron Monaghan for our intro and outro mix. Thank you so much for listening and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at a few minutes pod until next time.